Bienvenue à Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where these fucking Americans are all the same with their hot tubs and their good lame bikinis and their ways they're always pretending to be their twin sisters. Above all, je déteste these Wakefields. Valley High Super Edition. Spring break. Hi, bienvenue. <laughs> Welcome to a very special bonus edition of Sweet Valley Diaries. A bonus edition because we're on hiatus, but that gives us the opportunity to dive into these big, thick books called Super Editions. And with me today to talk about a very special book called Spring Break is actor, writer, uh, film festival, logistics expert, um, Thaisa Farmiga lookalike, and my roommate, Kat Hazelton. Hello, welcome, Kat. Hello, thank you for having me back. Any important <laughs> things that you'd like to add on to your resume there? I think you covered it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did leave, you left out Dog Walker Extraordinaire. Dog Walker. Um... um Candy yeah. aficionado? Ah, yes. At this point? Yes. Definitely candy. Candy expert, candy expert caffeine addict. Okay. I love <laughs> it. I love it. Yes, and you said back, having you back. Yeah. Um, Kat, uh, listeners may or may not remember, depending on whether or not you started at the beginning, <laughs> that Kat, along with our other former roommate, Sayla, uh, was the first guest of Sweet Valley Diaries in the very first episode. Yay! So long ago. Yes, and that already answers the typical first question of the show, which is like, what's your previous exposure? So let's pivot to another much more interesting question, really, which is, so, some stuff has changed since book one. Uh-huh. Anything that stood out to you? A lot of death and destruction. Everyone died. <laughs> yeah, um... <laughs> Anything, anybody in particular? Like, uh, Stephen had a girlfriend that I wasn't even aware of in the yeah. first book, and then she died Trisha of Martin cancer. Mm-hmm. And was it Liz and Jessica's friend, like, died in a motorcycle accident, and one of them also almost died in it? Oh, yes. Oh, that's important. Right. The Rexy Wakefield <laughs> died in a motorcycle accident, and that is something that didn't really happen in the books. It was just alluded to. Okay. But yeah, um, Elizabeth uh, was in a motorcycle accident, and it, she was in a coma. Of course she was in a coma. That's very, like, soap opera-y. Yeah, yeah. And it boy, was it. Did Jessica um, impersonate her while she was in a coma? Or no, no, what happened was Darn. they had kind of a personality switch. So Jessica didn't have to impersonate Elizabeth because Ooh. Elizabeth was already naturally impersonating Jessica. Ooh. So it was kind of like a personality switch, but not on purpose. Very tricky. And personality switch becomes a, an important element in this book. Uh, they don't go to that well as often as one might expect. But you got it when you have twins at the core of your mm. of your book, and one of them is kind of evil. You have to oh, have yeah. a twin. Uh, She's very conniving. Yeah. You have to have a swap every once in a while. Yeah. Um, was there anything else since the last book that stood out to you? Um, 
I mean, obviously they're further along in their schooling and Elizabeth's super stoked to be practicing her French on this spring break trip. Yeah, this book made it seem like Elizabeth learning French was like a big part (laughs) of their lives or Elizabeth and Jessica both, but it's not so much. Um, So listeners, uh, gladiators, in this book, Jessica and Elizabeth go to France and... Boy, the first chapter of this book is obsessed <laughs> with air travel. The first chapter takes place entirely on an airplane and inside airports. <laughs> they spell out the whole speech of what the stewardess says, both in English and in <laughs> French. And I want to give the book a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and say, well, probably the young girls that were reading these books, especially in a different era, were probably really living vicariously through these girls on mm-hmm. the plane. And so every step of it is interesting. But to a modern reader... Like, reading about how you're supposed to buckle your seatbelt, and in case of a emergency landing, blah, 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 was like, okay, we know how an airplane works, guys. And, like, the bald guy in front of them, or next to them, that was sleeping the whole time, and it's like, oh, yes, we've all had an annoying passenger. Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So, uh, the first chapter of this book, they allude to this bald man in a suit who was trying to sleep from the beginning of the flight, uh, which is a smart thing to do on an international flight, because then you're expected to get there and, like, be awake all day. And these asshole girls are, like, giggling and screaming in, like, the worst teenage girl way. But they're so excited. Of course they would be excited getting to go to But, like, keep it contained. You're on a flight that's very long, and you're stuck in a giant metal container with all these other people trying to sleep. There's a moment in this in this chapter, this first chapter, where the guy, or maybe it's in the second chapter, because oh, they get off the plane at Kennedy mm-hmm. and the, at JFK. Do and they change planes or do they just get off shop and get back on? They're allowed to get off for half an hour at Kennedy okay, for that's some weird. reason. It is weird, uh, but sure. Okay. And then they get back on the same plane. And they almost missed the plane because Jessica was shopping. Of course. And she says something like, we're in New York City. They have so many great products here. <laughs> She's at the airport. You and literally were outside of the airplane for 20 minutes. Yeah. And so when they get back on and the guy is, like, kind of grumbling and turning at their at their nonstop chatter, they, like, giggle. <laughs> Look at him with his sleeping mask. And I was like, oh, hell no. Can you imagine be sitting next to those two girls? Oh, my God, no. I did the same flight. I flew from L.A. to New York, stayed in New York for a little bit, flew to London, and then flew to Cannes. So I kind of followed along on their journey a little bit. <laughs> yes. So specifically, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have Kat as the guest for this book, is that they go to France. But what I didn't realize is that they go specific. I thought they were going to Paris. That would be the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. But they don't go to Paris. They go to Cannes. Cannes. And well, we can say Cannes. Cause, Cannes. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's We are in the U.S. at the moment. It's not set in Paris. It's set in Cannes. Mm-hmm. And that's a place that you have visited specifically. It is. I was not there for spring break because I left for spring break, but I was there studying abroad for spring semester of my junior year. Of college. Not of high school, like these girls. correct. I did not do an exchange program in high school. I studied abroad in college. (laughs) And that's what's happened here. So Miss Dalton, the French teacher, has, like, arranged... It sounds like different families are going... Or different girls are going to different places. Mm -hmm. They allude to, like, Layla Fowler staying in one place and... um, Yeah, they were really 
jealous and I was like why you're going to can like what right and I don't I don't understand exactly they don't it's both the guy on the plane sleeping and Lila seem like okay these are threads of the story that we're gonna follow are never brought up again um but that's basically the logistics they are going to stay with a family called the Glees family and the Glees family is a single mom Avery she has two kids Renee and Fiona, I can only imagine. Oh, these parents named their children. Sorry, their children. <laughs> singular. No, I mean it's plural, but it doesn't have an S on the end of it. Renee and Fiona, which yeah. is, doesn't seem like a great idea. Also, no. I don't think like Fernie. We can call her Fernie. Yeah, I don't think that's a name. Really, Not it's the name really. of a place in yeah. France. But whatever, that's their name. And but Renee is in. Con with his mom, and Fernie is in Sweet Valley at the Wakefield House. Exactly. But we'll get to that. Let's start with yes. France, okay? Well, can we start with France yes. and then we can get... Because this book cuts back and forth in a very, like, Archer-esque it's way. very odd. And there were times that I thought, like, if the girls are in peril and then it cuts back to Sweet Valley, only something equally as exciting is happening, and it was never the same. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> it was... was like- when I say Archer-esque, I mean, like, the book is so on the nose about it that it's, like, if we're in Cannes and and Jessica is, like, oh, you know, the beach is so hot, it's, like, they're going to cut to back to Sweet Valley and it's Enid hot, is and sitting on the, the beach. pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, that's why I was always, I expected that. And then towards the end, it's, like, it's not on par. It's a no. different level when you cut back to Sweet Valley and it's just like the same old things happening. But Right, and things that have happened happening. in Sweet Valley before, <laughs> too, although not in this exact way. So uh, I'm glad that you, you uh, <laughs> see that even though you have only read one of these books before and you don't know any of the characters at play in the Sweet Valley thing, yeah. really. Um, well, so let's, let's talk about France. Let's do it. They get to France, they get off the plane, and right away... There's Renee. May I describe Renee yes. and their greeting? A pretty blonde woman was coming toward them, Avery Glees. Next to her was Renee. The boy was tall and trim and wore a sweater draped over his broad shoulders with casual elegance. One lock of straight blonde hair fell across his brow. He was even more handsome than he looked in the photograph, but at this moment his small, even features were arranged in a sultry pout. Elizabeth's eyes met his, and his expression seemed to soften, but only for a split second. As if he suddenly remembered something, the scowl reappeared. So that's our, that's Renee, and... Um, Quite the charmer, obviously. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on Renee Glees? Well, they hype him up a lot, because they're staring at his photo the whole time on the plane. They talk about it constantly. They pull out this photo, and they're looking at the photo, and it's just... Renee and Avery, and Renee's very attractive, and then they meet him, and he is very rude. He is so rude. I got mad in this book. Did you get angry? Yeah. So it starts, like, I joked in the opening about the, you know, fucking Americans, but, like, that's basically his attitude. Oh, for sure. He hates all Americans. Because every single one of us is the same. But, and I can understand having that attitude in general, but, like, to just sort of put it out there with your guests are in town and then it's like every single thing they say or do he's like well of course you do that because you're an American yeah but 
we learn, like, there's a lot of mystery around, you know, Monsieur Glees, who mm-hmm. seems to be, from the very beginning, like, there's a car ride early on where there's, like, a fight, and all all baked into this, and it, what I thought was a pretty interesting way is the fact that Elizabeth's French is pretty good, and she can kind of understand what they're saying, mm-hmm. and Jessica is, is struggling a little bit, so she's not as much in on it. So Elizabeth is a little more invested in the idea that maybe something's going on with the father and what's Renee's deal because I think she kind of has a crush on Renee yeah but also she just she really wants to see the good in him because something behind those eyes feels so so soulful and she knows that he can't just be pure evil and throughout the book she keeps on trying to tell herself to stop thinking about Renee and what his problems are because like she shouldn't give a shit about him but she just can't help herself she tries so hard and she thinks about him all the time. And then when she's, like, writing in her diary, she's like, I don't want to give him the, you know, satisfaction of putting a diary entry in about him. I shouldn't give him another thought. And I'm like, you're thinking about him right now. Uh, yeah. And then she <laughs> tries so, so hard to, like, get him to open up. And it never really works until, like, the very, very end. Yeah. But. <laughs> I thought it was funny that she... Like, the book only tells us pretty much about what's been happening in her day with Renee. And then when she sits down to write about every single thing that happens, it's like, she wrote about the airplane ride. She wrote about sitting on the front lawn, but she didn't write about Renee, just like you're saying. Um, well, actually, I, I have a moment with Renee early on. So, Avery is a nice host, but she has to go to work every day. Renee is supposed to be taking the girls around. The girls don't seem like they're super comfortable with the idea of showing themselves around, which I was kind of like, girls, get with it. You need to figure it out. Yeah. Jessica is, of course, super excited about meeting, like, all the French boys. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, Elizabeth and Jessica are both supposed to be shown around by Renee, but Renee keeps on leaving the house early in the morning and leaving them to fend for themselves. So finally, Avery is sick of this and is like, Renee... Take her out right now. Like, you gotta go. And so they're driving around the streets of, of Cannes. Um, there's a lot of talk about the festival, the Palais du Festival. Driving around like a madman, apparently. Yeah, he's driving really fast. But Elizabeth is still enjoying seeing seeing things. It was truly magnificent. Elizabeth wished she could get out of the car and take a closer look. Renee, what's going on there, where all those people are standing? She shouted above the deafening music. I better, I should shout that. Renee, what's going on there, where all the people are standing? She shouted above the deafening music. Renee squealed to a halt. That's the Palais de Festival, where the Cannes Film Festival used to be held. Can't you tell from the way all of the American tourists are standing around, staring? <laughs> Elizabeth let his fighting remark slide. Well, thanks for stopping to let me see it. We were stopping anyway, Renee said curtly. We were? Oh, are we going to the beach? Elizabeth asked enthusiastically. I can't wait to take a swim. Elizabeth could almost taste the salt water on her lips. She's been away from the fucking beach for 12 hours and it's just 12 hours too many. Well, you're going to have to. I have no intention of taking you to the beach. You don't? Elizabeth said, disappointed. No, I hate the beach. Renee found a spot and parked. Why? The beach was one of Elizabeth's favorite places. As far as she was concerned, there was no better spot to read or relax by oneself or spend the afternoon with friends, tossing a frisbee or playing volleyball, swimming and sunning and feeling alive. How could anyone not love it? 
Renee, you have some of the most beautiful beaches in the world right in your backyard, and the water's supposed to be a perfect temperature. I never swim. Renee cut her off in mid-sentence as they climbed out of the car. At least, not anymore. Dun dun dun! I used to, once upon a time, but then... Oh, what do you care anyway? His tone became hard again. I do care, Elizabeth said simply. Renee turned to look at her, his eyes probing hers. For an instant, the electric feeling returned. The electric feeling between them that happened earlier when she got in the car. I but it was touched hands and it was like sparks. Mm, yes. But it was gone a moment later. Look, Liz, forget I said anything, okay? We don't have all day to stand here talking, Renee snapped. I told my friends we'd meet them across the street at the cafe. He started walking, never looking back to see if Elizabeth was behind him. And then they go to the cafe and he's just a, such a dick to her that his friends are like, Renee, whoa. It was so awkward. I don't know. I feel like everyone's been in some kind of situation like that where your friends are just like, uh, dude, I am so sorry for the way that he's acting right now because he's being a total ass. And even then he's like, oh, these idiots, they'll do anything for a pretty face, but they don't realize that there's nothing beneath the surface. <laughs> he's like, so you've known her all rude. of one day. Yeah. So if gladiators are wondering why... Uh, Jessica is not also with them. It's because Jessica, right off the bat, finds a fellow of her own, uh, a boy named Mark Marchelier, something like that. Oh, yeah, I don't remember his last name, but... It was like the writers were like, Mark, and then Mark again, and then some more letters. (laughs) But he's got money. He's not very cute, but he's got money, and his parents have, what, a Porsche and a Jaguar, so... Of course, uh, Jessica... Me- ah, yes. Rolls-Royce. A Rolls-Royce in the garage, and then he drives a Porsche, so immediately Jessica just latched on and was like, hell yeah, you're going to introduce me to some hot boys. Do you think that maybe they had the Wakefield twins go to Cannes, or, like, the, the Sweet Valley Can was the exchange, because, like, Can is, like, the Sweet Valley of France? Maybe. They have a beach. They, they have, have a beach. very rich they people. They have very rich people. Celebrities. A lot of it's kind of, like summer homes and stuff though a lot of people aren't there okay. year-round i don't i don't know if that's a thing for sweet valley maybe but not that we know of but i mean it seems possible yeah it's also i mean there are a fair amount of young people but most of it it's almost i'd almost say more like a key west situation where it's like retirees and like summer vacations and then of course just the festival and that's when it really explodes yeah But Jessica meets this guy, Mark, and Mark is going to take her to the, like, private beach club. So she's like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. And Elizabeth is like, okay, well, you did your thing. You you know, you found somebody. But um, there is a little bit more to it than that. And I thought that there's a little fight that Jessica and Elizabeth have about Mark that I thought was kind of funny. So I'm going to read that part, too, as as, as long as I'm reading every part of this book. Gladiators. It's a great book. I the, mean. the book is is two hundred and fifteen pages long, so I I can't actually read all of it to you, but uh, it was a fun read, I have to say, and um, it's a good thing, Kat, that you are my roommate because after I gave you the book, I went to go find the ebook version. Like, I have a paper copy of this book on my shelf, but I went to find the ebook version on like Kindle. And it did not exist. When I tried to get it, it kept on taking me to a children's book that is also called Spring Break. Awkward. And I was like, I'm not going to spend $5 to download a children's Kindle ebook. Uh, 
just because uh, Amazon seems to think that it is somehow connected to this book, Spring Break. It was like I was on the landing page for Weird. the book. You know how you, like, go to a book and it's got, like, the the hardcover or the softcover because the Kindle edition. Anyway, so I had to get it back from you. I checked, uh, like, Apple Books, too, and Nowhere. it w- wasn't there at all, so. Weird. Anyway, I don't think... I mean, it was a very fast read, so... Yeah, luckily <laughs> I was able to read it all over the course of last night. So Jessica is telling Liz about this new guy, Mark, she met. And she's like, you know, he's fine, but I, I'm really more excited that, about the people Mark is going to introduce me to. And Liz kind of scowls, and Jessica's like, don't look at me like that. So Elizabeth says, so tell me, what is it then about this guy that doesn't make him the one you want to be with on this vacation? No, wait, don't tell me. He's rich and he's nice. I guess that means he's not gorgeous enough to meet Jessica Wakefield's impeccable standards, right? Elizabeth felt herself growing irritated at her sister. They had had this discussion too many times before. She'd lost track of how often she had tried to make Jessica see how unfair it was to judge boys so superficially, to use them and then throw them away. Liz, to say this guy's not gorgeous is kind of an understatement. To tell the truth, he's, well... To begin with, he's a good three inches shorter than I am. Big deal. Jessica, where is it written that the boy has to be taller than the girl? I don't know what century you're living in. Elizabeth stood up and took hold of one ankle and tugged gently on her leg to stretch out the front of her thigh. Oh yeah, because she'd just gone jogging. That's how she met Mark. Right, they meet Mark on a jog and Jessica like breaks off from Liz to talk to him. Liz, that's not the only thing. I mean, I've gone out with short guys before. Chuck Woolman, remember him? He was tiny. <laughs> I don't remember Chuck Woolman. I've never heard of Chuck Woolman before. Okay, good. I was wondering because I was like, is this like a big thing that I missed? Yeah, like book number five is like, uh, you know, the misadventures too, of Chuck yeah, Woolman. <laughs> too short for comfort. Uh, you, can Jessica handle this short stack of pancakes? I don't know. Um, that's not real. But apparently, Chuck Woolman is tiny. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Got a pass for the short X. Like it's like a tiny little tiny. Like he's like he's like three inches tall. <laughs> Instead of three inches shorter, he's three inches tall total. Yeah, <laughs> Jessica would probably be into that. <laughs> she can literally wrap him around her finger. Oh she my would god, love that. Oh my god. Okay, so it's that. Well, Mark is um. Oh, never mind. Jessica flung her hands up in the air crossly. I don't see why I should have to explain myself to you. When have you ever dated somebody who was really funny looking? In a complete about face, Jessica assumed the offensive. It's not like I've dated very many guys the way you have, Elizabeth began. There have only been a few besides Todd. Who wasn't exactly the worst to look at, Jessica finished, pushing her attack. See, you're guilty of the same thing you're accusing me of. Elizabeth shook her head. Jess, I can't figure out how you always manage to get the conversation so twisted around that I don't even know what I'm trying to say anymore. Talent, Liz. Special talent. Jessica flashed Elizabeth a toothy grin, and I just thought that was a very enjoyable fight. Well, especially because they've apparently had it so many times before. Right. When will you ever learn? Yeah. (laughs) So, I don't know, there's the dig of, like, I haven't dated every guy in town. Yeah, slut-shaming. Whoa. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, yeah. But, but of course, Elizabeth quickly meets the fellow as well. Well, not as quickly, but yeah. Yeah. Well, but, and it's not because she's trying to meet a guy. It's because <laughs> it's a very, it's a, she has a meet cute with a puppy. Exactly. Who, you know, let's be real. That's probably the goal in life. Yeah. Just find a cute puppy. Yeah. So it's a little German Shepherd puppy. Nikki. Nikki. And she finds out that Nikki belongs to the Countess de Willinich. Yeah. <laughs> Willinich. And so the Countess lives in the biggest house in Cannes. Apparently you can't miss it. And she's a Countess. She says at one point, my husband is the Count of Willinich. <laughs> cool. Like, you know, yep, shit, lady. that. <laughs> but she's like a fun, interesting old lady. And Elizabeth is enjoying talking to her. Um, but she's a very sly woman as well, because she invites Elizabeth over for tea, and then, oh, what are you doing home? It's what, her nephew? Her grandson. Her grandson. Jean-Claude. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yes. She's like, I did not know that Jean-Claude was here. And then Elizabeth is like, I think she knew. Well played. Yeah, but Jean-Claude is, you know, he's a little bit of a ladies' man, but he's he's very, like, forward with his appreciation of Elizabeth's beauty and, like, wanting to spend time with her. But mm-hmm. he's, like, seems like a nice, smart guy. So they drive around and they have a good time, and he confidently invites her out the next day to play tennis. And so she's happy. She comes in, she makes a date, and at this point, Jessica's like, Ugh, Elizabeth, I can't believe you have a date. Like, and Elizabeth's like, you do too. But Jessica just, she picked wrong, apparently. Well, she also has been lying that all these people that Mark's introducing her to are super cool. Oh, right, where instead it's mm-hmm. like grandparents. Yeah, there, there aren't like cute young people at the beach club. It's all like old wealthy people. Um, but so... This is important because Elizabeth has a date the next day with Jean-Claude, but the next day, Avery calls, like, frantically from the nurse's office where she works. Sorry. She needs some medication that for a patient. It's it's kind of a weird situation, but basically, she's calling to try to get Renee to go pick up the medicine. But per usual, Renee dipped and is nowhere to be found. Yeah. And so Elizabeth offers to help out. And she's like, oh, the only thing is, like, is it possible to get back by 1230? And Avery's like, oh, you'd be a lifesaver if you did this for me. Leave a note for Jean-Claude. So Elizabeth gets involved in a whole big, like, she's in a car. So this whole big public transit thing where she's waiting forever at the pharmacy. And then she's on a bus and the bus is taking a while and she's going to be late. Meanwhile, Jessica is so bored with Mark that she feigns a headache and she gets home early, sees the note on the door. And she takes it off the door because she's like, well, that's unnecessary. I'll be here to tell him in person. Gladiators, do I even have to tell you what happens next? Do I even have to explain it? Even if we hadn't alluded to it already, like, she knows that Jean-Claude is coming to meet Elizabeth. She knows that if she takes his note off the door, Jean-Claude is not going to know that Elizabeth isn't there. And she also knows, although gladiators, you do not know, that... Elizabeth has told Jean-Claude that she has a sister, but she couldn't remember the word in French for twin. So, and Elizabeth and Jean-Claude have been speaking French to each other. Mm -hmm. So Jean-Claude has no idea that she has a twin sister. So what do you think happens? You fill in the rest of the episode, listeners. Um, (laughs) 
very self-explanatory at this point. Jessica meets beautiful boy and does what Jessica tends to do. She doesn't know what Jean-Claude looks at like at this point. But when he opens the door, he's she's just like melts. She's like, oh, Jean-Claude. Like they felt Love at first sight. And also Jean-Claude is like Oh, you look different from yesterday, but it's even more beautiful than it was yesterday. I don't know what it is. Yeah, because it's a different person. (laughs) He finds Elizabeth to be more beautiful today than she was yesterday, which is a very romantic thing to say, except that um, she's not Elizabeth, and Jessica does not correct him by saying, like, oh, I'm Elizabeth's more beautiful sister, we're probably more I think she thinks about it for a solid half a second until he says Elizabeth, and she's like, meh. It's fine. Yeah. The biggest problem with this plan, never mind the lying, is that Jessica's French is shit. So Jean-Claude is like, I feel like we're having a harder time speaking today, uh, Elizabeth, because he doesn't speak English very well. I'm trying to do his accent heavier than Renee. So I don't know if that's coming across, but um, <laughs> my car Because Renee is, grew up speaking yeah. French and English. Oh, yes. Whereas his sister did not. Yeah. It was a gift from his father. That's something that that Elizabeth picks up in the... So, the father mystery we can talk about with Renee. Uh, Jessica goes out with Jean-Claude, and they have an amazing time, and does not tell Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, when she does get home, she misses Jean-Claude. She expects him to come back, because she thinks he seems like a nice, upstanding guy. He never does. She doesn't hear from him, and she's like, fuck that guy. Well, she calls and leaves a message yeah. with, like, the housekeeper. True. Important. Um, But then is quite upset when he doesn't call back that night. But, of course, he does he call, does back call and Jessica interferes. And then was like, oh, it's my friend Mark. Well, Elizabeth says, oh, was that Mark? And, El- and Jessica says, hmm. <laughs> She doesn't say yes or no. She doesn't actually outright lie. She just doesn't correct. Which is something that comes to mind when Elizabeth finally figures it all out, which we can talk about momentarily. But this monsieur... Well, also, Jean-Claude was very confused because he was like, why would you call and be like, I'm sorry I missed you when we were out all day together? And, of course, Jessica (laughs) throws the housekeeper under the bus. Like, oh, I don't know what she's talking about. (laughs) Yeah, she's crazy. I don't know. That's weird. So... (laughs) We don't get to see Jessica and Jean-Claude together during the day, but we do get to find out every detail of Elizabeth's bus ride back from, yep. and there's a car accident, and the French love paperwork, and this is the thing that the writer decides yeah. to show us. Um, but this gives her a little more FaceTime with Renee, which is always terrible. Uh, but she has learned some new things about Renee. Not only, mm-hmm. it, so it's not one mystery with Renee, it's two it is. Which seems like maybe two, one too many especially, <laughs> from a storytelling perspective. Yeah, especially then with all the other weird things going on in Sweet Valley. It's just so many people involved, yeah. and it's very odd. So here's Renee's damage. Uh, he hates Americans because his father was American, mm-hmm. and his father, like, abandoned him in his young sister when they were babies. Now, his father then went on to, like, be bad for a few years, but then he tried to make it up to him, and he's been sending letters to Renee every month for, mm-hmm. like, years, like, hundreds of letters that Renee throws in the garbage. Doesn't Renee, even open it. Renee has a, a big grudge against his father, and it is easier for him to hate his father and hate all Americans than to hear what his father might have to say and consider accepting his apology. Number two, I'm, I'm counting off my fingers. Gladiators, you can't see this, but um, number two, 
that this is really sad, even sadder than the dad thing, his best friend died in some kind of swimming thing. Like they never exactly say what happened, but he drowned. And Renee, Renee was there him. and tried to save him, and then it didn't work, didn't and him. he couldn't, and he probably could have drowned as well. He's but a very strong swimmer, and, but he doesn't swim anymore. But that's why he to. hates the beach now. Yeah, it's not just because so he hates a, Americans, yeah. he hates the beach, and everything that Elizabeth and Jessica represent. Right. It's not <laughs> just because he's just like a curmudgeon, it's because he has this real trauma. But... Boy, this is where if you tell someone, listen, I had some trauma around the beach, they are going to be a lot nicer to you about a lot more understanding of your hangups or of your of your attitude than if you're just like, fuck you and your beach. <laughs> and your Americanness. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now might be a fun time for us to talk a little bit about the other member of the Glees family. What do you think? Yes. Definitely. This is what's going on. This is the crux of what's happening in Incan. Meanwhile, back in Sweet Valley, remember that picture that we were talking about? The picture they've been staring at uh, on the airplane of the Blee's family? Well, you can't see the sister's face in that picture. So what the Wakefield twins do not know is that Fernie Glee's looks exactly like Trisha Martin. So did you understand who Trisha Martin was I from the book? I pieced it together pretty quick based on Steven's reaction and Steven's parents' reaction to this new girl that looks like the ghost of girlfriend's past. Yes. She's died, and it was really hard on Steven, but Steven eventually got over it and started dating Carol Walker, who also had some bad stuff happen in her life, although no deaths, and so she matured. It, the first time we see Fernie and Steven together, Steven is like, Kara will understand that I'm attracted to her. Of course I am, because she looks like my dead girlfriend. But all I, all I am is attracted to her and wanting to spend time with her. It's not like I'm doing anything wrong. But he's also, like, terribly infatuated, and they can't speak. Fernie doesn't speak <laughs> English, so all he gets is that, like, she's interested in science, Trisha was interested in science. He draws, yeah, he draws these, like, insane parallels from, like, one or two words. He thinks that Fernie is Trisha. And Mm -hmm. everybody, I mean, not literally, but he's like, oh, she's the next best thing. And it's like, he's telling himself that there's nothing wrong with spending time with her. But his parents are like what the fuck are we going to do? Also, because you're going to undo all the damage control you've already done with the trauma of losing your girlfriend. And they feel like if they try to tell him what to do, they have, there's a whole conversation. We get a conversation between Ned and Alice, which doesn't happen that often when no kids around, where they're basically like, oh, wouldn't it be the right thing to have a talk with him? And then they're like, that'll never work. We'll just have to wait it out. Well, his mom was like, oh, I tried to speak with him yesterday about returning Kara's phone calls, and he just about took my head off. Yeah, I said, mom. <laughs> yeah, so Kara's calling, and he's not calling Kara back. So he's deluding himself into thinking he's not doing wrong by Kara, but, but his, then just his fucking girlfriend. Her. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. weird. Now, <laughs> listeners might be thinking, just the very last book, that uh, the end of season um, three, book 30, 
Stephen Wickfield was being shitty to Kara because he was thinking about going to be on a cruise ship. But Uh-oh. lest you think that this is two bad behaviors of Stephen in a row chronologically, really this book spring break happened a few books ago, like happened. So, so Stephen got like a couple of books off. Like first he was a shit to Kara regarding this girl, Fernie, that looks like his dead girlfriend. And then a few books later, he was a shit to her by, by just expecting her to wait for him while he was in the far East for, uh, for eight months or something. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of sucks now. I'm sort of starting to hate him. Yeah. I kind of got that impression. But, and it's like, you want to feel for him f- about the whole Trisha thing, except, like, he so doesn't see what, what he's doing. And it's like, buddy, she's not Trisha. Like, it almost seems like an affront to Trisha. But then he gets very if, upset when if it's Betsy proven. Martin got a whiff of this, she would be so pissed. <laughs> like, Stephen did what now? Anyway, Betsy Martin is Trisha's sister. It's right, just so, it's so upsetting because he's deluding himself into thinking that it's like this is the second coming of my dead girlfriend but then when he finds out that she's her own person and has different interests and is nothing like trisha he gets like mad about it (laughs) but then of course immediately goes crawling back to kara and was like oh my god please take me back and poor kara is basically like it's over between us she doesn't say this to him but there's this scene where enid oh poor enid has to stay home over spring break because she has to save money to, by babysitting, so she so can't go to Enid. France. Enid is uh, is a great French student. They don't bring it up, but it would have made sense for Enid to get to go to France. But let me tell you a little bit about what's happening in Sweet Valley. I've got a couple scenes to read. Kara it, and Enid are both at Casey's ice cream parlor at the same time. And Kara's sitting by herself, like, sadly not eating her... A vanilla Swiss almond ice cream. So very rom-com, sitting there, like, stirring it, but never eating. Yeah, yeah. That's what happens when you're heartbroken, right? You go for ice cream that you don't eat. Yes. So Enid comes over. Enid and Kara are not really friends, but eh, maybe they can be now. It's Steve, isn't it? Enid spoke gently. She and Kara had had their differences, but Kara had changed a great deal recently. Besides, Enid felt very strongly that when someone needed you, you made certain to be there. How'd you know? Kara pushed a strand of dark brown hair out of her face and rubbed her eyes. I saw him at the beach the other day. And she was with him? Enid nodded. The way she looks, well, it must be difficult for everyone. <laughs> so Yeah, so how do Trisha's parents feel about this girl being there? Uh, that well, must her be mom weird. Is, her mom is dead and her father is oh. a, a terrible alcoholic, so oh, probably wow. they don't notice. Heavy. Oh, no. Okay. Kara nodded and swallowed hard. He hasn't left her side for a second, and he hasn't been returning my phone calls. That's how crazy he is about that girl. A single tear rolled down her cheek. Enid, it's so unfair. Just when we were so happy together. Well, what are you going to do about it? Enid asked. Do? I'm not going to do anything. There's nothing I can do. Kara shook her head, despair and pain shadowing her pretty face. You can fight, Kara. (laughs) Enid's words were soft, but she meant them from the bottom of her soul. It just won't work to fight, Enid, Kara said. She bit her lip. You can't fight the dead. You're not fighting the dead. That's exactly it, Enid said. It's not Trisha who's your competition. She only looks like her. That's what you have to make Steve see. You have to make him realize that Fernie just represents a memory he's holding on to. A memory he has every reason to cherish. Yes, that's true. But you can't go out with a memory. 
So that's what we are going to put on our first Sweet Valley mug. You can't go out with a memory. Or can you? (laughs) I love, love the dialogue in this book because it alternates between, like, prissy teenage girl and, like, pre-war, like... (laughs) <laughs> I don't even know. It's They get so deep and dramatic. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, this is an especially over-the-top one. Oh, um, my God. Well, let's go back to Cam, and then we can come back to uh, to Sweet Valley for the for the climactic ending. Um, so what's happening again? Oh, well, Jessica and Jean-Claude are, like, going hot and heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, like... They're hanging out. He takes her on a boat ride to a sailboat. Yeah, he sails over to Ile Saint Marguerite. Yeah, uh, which is beautiful. It's one of my favorite places in the world. So, were you picturing it exactly as I was? was. And then I, before I even got to the part in the book where they're actually talking about the history of the island and everything that resides there, I was already picturing, like, the cell for the man in the iron mask, because that's the prison that's on the island. And then they tell that whole story. They tell the whole story really about a it. lot of history. Like, whoever it's was fantastic. writing this book, the ghostwriter for this book was, like, doing a deep dive on French history and was like, oh, the man in the iron mask. Like, mm-hmm. this is so interesting. The and they I'm went to typing. the Museum, and I could imagine that, and then the Palais, which I don't know why they said the festival used to be held there. Maybe it's a different palais. It's been renovated or something, but it definitely is still there and <laughs> still where the festival is oh, held. We could look into the history of the 80s, the festival. If yeah, they, it they go so into this island that they're on for a day and then, like, they just brush off like one of the biggest parts of Cannes. Yeah, <laughs> there's, like, odd. two history things back to back. Like, yeah. something about the almond blossoms and then something mm-hmm. about the man on the iron mask. They're, like, it's, like, a full, like, half of a chapter of the Yeah, book. there's, like, two entire pages on who the man in the iron mask was or might have been. Which is honestly a representative of something very strange about this book, which is that there is so much story here that is alluded to and then skipped over. Like I mentioned earlier, we don't ever see Jessica and Jean-Claude until they're at the summary, uh, some Marguerite? St. Marguerite, yeah. Okay, St. Marguerite. We never see Jessica and Mark together, really, until the headache thing. Like, we we don't... Yeah. We, we get a flashback to Jessica on a topless beach, and how... Yeah. Like, and she's remembering how she, like gradually got up the nerve to take off her top and was like, what in Rome? But it's like a quick flashback. And I would have loved to see the scene of Jessica realizing that, like, to see it really happen. But instead, it's just this little flashback. Yeah, we get more of when Mark comes to check on Jessica to see if she's feeling any better. And Liz is like, wait, if you're here, who's Jessica out with? But then... Liz ends up going to this, like, art museum thing. With art, Mark, yeah. What is it? Um, not a museum. It's an art, it's art a gal- show. It's a, a show, gallery. yeah. A gallery. And she's like, Mark. I love art shows. <laughs> yeah, Which, she of goes course, Jessica wouldn't like or whatever, yeah. but Renee, they end up swapping. Yeah. And, and then, really, they're better matches in terms of companions for the two yes. of them. Which is something Jessica is telling herself, right? She's like, I can justify doing this because... Elizabeth wasn't really that into Oh, she tells herself that she would understand so many times. I'm like, well, yeah, but maybe if you were straight up with her from the beginning. Jean-Claude would probably understand, too. Like, he seems really into you. But all this deceit. So Elizabeth 
goes to yeah Elizabeth goes to Sarge. So she makes a new friend. Like she they how she's having a good time. She Although, hangs out with one of the yeah. painters, meets his cute yeah daughter that Mark hits it off with. And yeah, like, and then she's like Mark, cute. great. Mark and Veronique <laughs> are going to be a couple. Everything's you know everything's <laughs> perfect. Um, at this point, she doesn't know it's she doesn't know that Jessica's with Jean Claude. She doesn't suspect that she probably should have put the pieces together. Renee gives her shit for stealing <laughs> for stealing Jessica's man. She's like oh, hey, again. Know. He's like you American. So much for your American loyalty. Or that might come up later. Um, yeah. Yeah, it will. So, yeah. but, but going back to the book in general, it's like they spend so much time on like on the airplane ride and on the history of Ile Saint Marguerite. It's but the, very odd. But then we get almost nothing in Sweet Valley. We don't know what's going on with Enid. Lila gets mentioned and not her thing does, isn't explained. It's so weird. Like the uh, time that's spent where. Yeah, how did they decide what they were going to glaze yeah. over and what they're going to spend you know, a chapter on? Yeah, because on the one hand, it seems like there's so much more story. Because Oh, because also, the book ends, to skip all the way to the end, they still have several days of their trip left. Yeah. And literally, the last sentence of the book, I should maybe I should save this for the end, but whatever, it says... Sh- uh, you know, Elizabeth is saying she had a feeling that these were going to be days that she wasn't likely to forget. Well, spoiler alert, the next Super Edition is not a continuation of the spring break trip. They just never talk about it again. Yeah, things are finally, like, good. And we've already read all of the books that follow this one, like, the next, like, two or three books after this one. And there's nothing about their trip to France in those either. So they're, like, out of time Apparently it was just very forgettable. Yeah. I guess so. Despite how it was days she would never forget, Elizabeth says. But I guess getting back to Elizabeth's happy day, you know, so she's having a good time, even though Renee is bugging her. But when she goes home, Jessica still isn't back, and Avery's not back, and she's starting to get worried. So I'd like to read the scene, too, because I think it, it says a lot, I mean familiar stuff, but a lot about Elizabeth and Jessica and their dynamic, and it also gives us a glimpse into the way that Renee has been treating them throughout. Elizabeth was panicky. It was seven o'clock. The wind was roaring now, and the trees tossed wildly. Oh, I guess we should say, we last left Jessica and Jean-Claude neglecting to leave the island, even though they know that they should get going because a storm is coming in, because they're having too much fun making out. Exactly. I mean, if this were... We, but Jean-Claude we, should really know better because the weather is very unpredictable there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and if it weren't Sweet Valley, I would say, like, they were too busy, like, having sex on the beaches of, <laughs> of this island. Because the this book absolutely makes it subtext that they oh, are having a lot of sure. sex. But I don't think that we're supposed to think that that's actually what's happening. No, they're just kissing. Yeah. So they it's have very so much PG. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, oh, 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 sorry. I'm still in the middle of this quote, but I have to say, there's a moment where they're on this island that it describes Jessica rubbing Jean-Claude's bare back. And yeah. I was like, that is very I was sexual like, behavior. I, I assume they went swimming and he was just wearing swim trunks, but yeah, I was like, uh, okay. I mean, okay. and it's just like she feels like this electric pulse through her fingers. As she, and it's like, yeah, okay, because, I mean, that sounds very sexy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is, I don't know. And but then it's France. also funny because she's they're talking about this boat, but it's, bra. like, very tiny. It's a very little itty-bitty, like, she says it's no bigger than a rowboat with the yeah, sail. Little, yeah, yeah. So, 
that's why when Jessica, well, Elizabeth has no idea where Jessica is, but she's, that's part of why she's worried. Jessica said she'd be home I at 3.30. I feel like she should know her sister better than yeah. is at this point. Well, maybe she does. <laughs> maybe that's the problem. It's like, Jessica said she'd be home at 3.30. Now it's 7. What kind of trouble has she gotten herself into? But let's get back to the, the passage. She jumped up and held her breath as she heard a key in the front door, but she let out a heavy sigh of disappointment when Renee strode in. You don't look so overjoyed to see me, he remarked. <laughs> Oh, no, you don't understand, Renee, Elizabeth protested. I thought maybe it was Jessica. She's not home yet, and I don't have any idea where she might be. Her words poured out, her voice rising in desperation. Did you try Jean-Claude? Renee asked. His tone was offhand, but Elizabeth could feel his gaze on her as if he was studying her for a reaction. But she didn't understand. Jean-Claude? She asked, her brow furrowed. Don't tell me you're surprised. You stole her friend, she stole yours. An eye for an eye, that sort of thing. My friend saw Jessica and Jean-Claude together and told me. Elizabeth didn't bother to reply to Renée's provocative comment. She was frantically trying to digest what he had just revealed about her twin and Jean-Claude. She remembered how interested Jessica had been when she told her about him. Perhaps too interested. Her head spun. What had Jessica engineered this time? You have nothing to say to that, Renee broke into her thoughts. But perhaps you knew already, he mused aloud. Yes, now I see. You two arranged this whole thing. You decided to swap identities to get a laugh at the expense of Marc and Jean-Claude, he scowled. God, don't you have any scruples? Renee, what are you talking about? Elizabeth spoke distractedly, still puzzling about how Jessica had gotten together with Jean-Claude. There wasn't any identity switching. Mark knows I'm Elizabeth and Jean-Claude... She broke off in mid-sentence as the truth dawned on her. Jean-Claude thinks Jessica is you, Renée finished. So much for your American sense of loyalty. He crossed his arms over his chest. Now it made sense. No wonder Jean-Claude hadn't called her back. As far as he knew, they hadn't missed their date after all. While she had been stuck on the bus after taking the medicine to Avery, Jessica must have been at the house to stand in for her. Elizabeth felt anger growing within her. It wasn't the first time Jessica had pretended to be her. Of all the nasty low-down tricks for her twin to pull, when Jessica got back, Elizabeth was going to sit her down and talk to her. But when was she going to get back? Suddenly, Elizabeth's fears about her sister rushed over her again, mingling with her anger. A bolt of lightning illuminated the sky outside. That did it. Angry or not, Elizabeth had to find Jessica. What if she was in trouble? And so Jessica gets one in again. She gets off. She's got free. And I mean... We could go into the details of the of the scene. Like it's an exciting, kind of an ex- shockingly exciting scene. I thought when they find Jean Claude and Jessica, mm-hmm. like I wasn't expecting it to be that dramatic. I wasn't either, but of course they're gonna bring you know Renee's past into it and make him a hero. And right, and Elizabeth knows at this point what happened mm-hmm. to Renee, and I think they. So does Jessica, because she was really mean about it. yeah. Yeah. She's like, oh, I know you hate the beach because your little friend died. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, what? That is traumatizing. It was really bad. And Elizabeth was mad at Jessica for it. But also because at that point in time, Elizabeth had almost convinced Renee to give her, give his father another chance. And then Jessica went and undid the whole damn thing. I'm just laughing because it's such an Elizabeth thing to do to be like, she makes it her mission to try and like get... This this boy she She's just met and his father. She's a fixer. Aw. Let's talk about the big action scene. I mean, they get to the beach. They they somehow find 
the boat. She I guess- calls the countess and explains that her twin sister has pretended to be her and is out. <laughs> Or something like that. Or she says that she's Elizabeth, but, like, I can't go into it, but I'm not with Jean-Claude, but where where did he go? And yeah, So, so they, they find the beach that they sailed out of, and then they get to the beach, and then off in the distance there's this tiny little boat, and it's being tossed around by the angry ocean, and there's thunder and lightning. And, and then Jessica the, gets hit in the head by yeah. the, the thingy, the, the, the ballast... What is it? It's not the boom, because that's that way, right? The sideways no. one. We're clearly we're master <laughs> saleswomen. My mom here. would be so disappointed in me. <laughs> well, I have an excuse. I've never, I have never sailed. I would like to learn to sail, but also I just referred to us as saleswomen. No, it is the boom. I right? don't. Think yeah, we're, sailor. It, sales- saleswomen. <laughs> Is it, it is the boom, right? Because the mast goes this way and then the boom goes that way. I don't know, but I stood up into it once on a sailboat. Oh, no. Well, so you know Jessica's pain. Well, it, like, knocks her off the boat and then Jean-Claude and then the, dives yeah, in. Yeah, the boat. And... Like, no, doesn't the boat, like, tip and then he falls yeah, out or something? Yeah, he falls out. And he and tries so, to save her. And so, of course, her. Elizabeth goes and grabs Jessica and starts bringing her in, but she can't do it. And Jean-Claude's getting tired. And suddenly, here comes Renee yeah, suddenly to save there was the someone day. else in the water and... And they, so they save them all, and Elizabeth knows how important it is, and Elizabeth sees the intense love between Jessica and Jean-Claude, and she understands, and she pretends to be Jessica just for this one moment. Somehow in that moment, I would literally give less than a singular shit about my <laughs> sister's anonymity in her scheming ways. Like, I just saved your life and yeah. dragged you out of this ocean, and yeah. you're gonna play this long con of being me and I'm gonna just be okay with it because you look so longingly at this hot dude. Also, I want to call bullshit on Elizabeth saying that Jessica never falls... This myth, this, like, myth of Sweet Valley that Jessica never falls in love and she only plays the field. Jessica falls in love constantly. She kind of gathered that. She messes around with boys and she, like, gives them... She, like, toys with them. But she also falls, like, head over heels for guys all the time. It's just not lasting. So she gets in this Mm -hmm. intense infatuation with them constantly. She's... I mean, it's amazing. It's... I mean, I... It's... In, it's enviable in some ways that she could feel so strongly for people. But, I mean, it's mostly lust, I imagine. But but whatever look she's seeing on Jessica's face, you know, it's it's not... It can't be the first time she's seen it. She's also it, probably but... concussed at this point. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> but they go home and, and clean up and she's leaving half an hour later. Elizabeth points this out. She's like, I can't believe you're going out again. Well, because Jean-Claude's still sitting in the car soaking wet waiting for her. So she has to hurry up yeah. and get ready and get presentable yeah. and leave. Clearly this was a real serious drowning. That Obviously. <laughs> but it's okay because Avery's a nurse, yeah. so she comes home and checks her out and she's fine. Yeah. And then Renee and Elizabeth get their moment where he realizes, you know, now that he had a chance to do it over again and, and to help save someone, he can get over the the bad feelings he's he's carried around about not being able to save his friend, and it's all very sweet. And then Elizabeth and Renee are going to go out tomorrow afternoon. And he won't take no for an answer. He's like, we're going to go hang out, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to go to dinner, and it's all a part of the deal. And yeah. She's like, damn, okay. 
And that's basically the end of that story. Yeah. Uh, although they have several more days in France. But we don't know yeah. what happens. I feel so like... The use obvious, your imagination. It's funny. They built this whole special edition book. The, these special edition books are always vacation things, right? So it's... I mean, that might not continue, but so far it's been... Um, you know, a, a winter, a summer vacation thing, a winter vacation thing, like Christmas time, um, where, or it was Christmas break, and then now the spring break trip. Spring break <laughs> yes. forever. Exactly. It, it had to be said. <laughs> Thank you, Kat, for getting that out of the way. It had to be said. I almost did it at the top, and then I saved it. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been okay, too. Um, so... But so the obvious ending of this book would have been them on the plane home to Sweet Valley, but instead we just end it midweek and we should have ended with a full chapter about their plane ride all the way back <laughs> to California. Where they have the full stewardess speech, uh, flight attendant speech again, <laughs> just in case we forgot. Um, but and meanwhile, back in Sweet Valley, Stephen has gotten a friend to translate. Uh, Fernie's <laughs> French so that he can find out that all the things that he was sort of reading in between the lines about her, like, oh, she reads, she's reading this Ionesco play. Mm-hmm. She must be so well read. Like, oh, it turns out she's just reading that for a school project. She actually prefers fashion magazines. Yeah. Oh, she's interested in science, but she likes to do chemistry experiments to make her own lipstick. So that's shallow. I don't know. <laughs> like, he doesn't Oh, yeah. He went that. from she wants to be a scientist and his friend's like, no, just... She likes science in class because you get to do cool things. But I have to say, I was, like, a little bit confused by this book's, like, maintaining that somehow doing chemistry experiments to make your own lipstick is not fucking amazing. Like, that's really cool. That's, like, an exceptional thing for, like, a 16-year-old girl to be doing with her spare time. Yeah. And also, like... I think. Who says fashion magazines automatically make you stupid and vain? Yeah, I guess he's just saying... He just implies all of it. Well, because what he does say She's very young and very immature. That's really what it is, is that they have this whole thing about how Kara used to be like Fernie, but Mm -hmm. now she's like Trish. (laughs) And But it's like, Stephen, you're the least mature of anybody. If you keep on falling into these traps of, uh, like, forgetting about anybody but yourself... Also, oh, I'm sorry, you're saying that Kara was young and grew up and got older and maybe her interests changed as if that's just like not a thing that people do also like sidebar a side effect of dating a 16 year old when you're in fucking college you weirdo (laughs) oh wait he's in college he's a freshman he's only 18 but he's a college freshman oh i didn't know that yeah that's weird i thought they were all in high school sorry i mean with all due respect for anybody in a happy relationship like that and i know some people that have a huge age difference and that they started dating when one was in high school and one wasn't and it can all work out but on the surface of it it's a little bit like well he actually such a baby that i definitely thought he was also yeah still in high school yeah and just like the fact that it's like if you're already in college and then you start dating your friend's sister who's still in high school it's like you're kind of asking to stay in like an immature place Unless she's an exceptional, or he, depending on the situation, but more likely she, is an exceptional person who's, like, really mature. It's like a wonderkind, skipped a couple grades. Yeah. Like, surely you or I would have been as 16-year-olds. Um, I don't know. Would I have dated a college freshman? Yeah. I would have been scared. I feel like... I mean, as a 16-year-old, I think I would have been nerve. I would have been, like... I feel like if we'd already been dating, then fine... But I also feel like there's such a huge difference in, like, time commitments. Yeah. That it's like, what's the point? You'd never see each other. Yeah. I think I would have. I was pretty mature. But I would have, I would not, like, 
sexually. <laughs> so I think I would have been really nervous about his intentions. That's where my head would have been as a 16-year-old. Anyway, I'm stuck in Sweet Valley, apparently. And let, let's close out the, um, the, the final scene between Kara and Steven where they make up is fucking ridiculous. So I gotta read it. <laughs> This so, is a whole saga in and of itself. It really like, can we is. have like a Stephen and Kara book? Yeah, I mean there there have been some. I could give you some to read, but that's actually makes this that much more maddening because it's like, oh oh, I gotta say, I gotta say it. We say all the time. I specifically say on this podcast all the time. There's no trauma in Sweet Valley. It's like a refrain, but. This whole Steven thing is making me think maybe there is trauma in Sweet Valley, at least as it regards to Trisha Martin, because Steven cannot get over it. Like, he keeps on over and over again. This is his only plot line, apparently. Anyway. Um, but we don't know how much time has passed, because it's Sweet Valley and time doesn't yeah. exist. Um, so... spend a whole chapter on a plane. And, I mean, Steven is allowed to mourn Trisha forever. That's okay. Right. But it's just constantly the same... Missteps. And you can't replace her. Well, that's a perfect segue into this passage. Hey, Kara, I guess I just have to come right out and say it. I've been acting like a big jerk. No, worse. I've been insensitive and unfair and just plain dumb. I owe you a huge apology. The words tumbled out. Kara listened quietly. Stephen, you hurt me very badly. I realize that. I can't say I'm sorry enough times. Kara, I don't want to cause you any pain. Not now and not ever. He looked up at her and their eyes met. I love you. Steve, are you sure it's me you care for and not Trisha's memory? I know how special she was to you. You're special to me too, Kara. You've got to believe that. But no one can take Trisha's place. Kara's voice was full of sadness and resignation. Perhaps not, Stephen continued to hold Kara's brown-eyed gaze. But that's because no person can ever replace another. Trisha was unique. That's one thing I've learned during all of this. There isn't anyone else like her. But Kara, you're unique too. That's what it is to be human. Every person is an individual. We're all different. It sounds trite, but it's true. You've tried to tell me that, haven't you? Kara nodded, swallowing hard. I won't ever make the mistake of confusing one person for another again, no matter how much they look alike on the outside. Stephen shook his head. Listen to me. I'm getting all philosophical. What I really mean is that you're you, and I love you for who you are, and not for who you're not. I'll never do anything like this again. <laughs> but that's what I love. It's like you're this silly, immature college freshman or high schooler or whatever... And then they have these philosophical conversations. <laughs> but it's like, if you're so mature to bring up all this... I don't oh know. My, I don't just... even think... I feel like the very idea that he would he would juxtapose the two thoughts, I'll never mistake another person for another person again. Like, I'll never make the mistake of thinking the two... His yeah, that's fucking common twin sense. sisters. <laughs> twin sisters. Elizabeth and Jessica Wakefield are his twin sisters. He has a front row seat for his entire 
entire life to two people that are identical, identical on the outside. Totally and, different. And so if anybody should know, it's but Steven is not that deep. He's making he's like he's this is such uh well actually. He's like, you know, people are different on the inside. And, right? and everybody's an individual, and oh man, I know this is like a deep thought, but like, whoa, you tried to tell me and I didn't hear you, but now you literally I have siblings that, like, that can replace each other and <gasps> play off as the other person. I was like, buddy, this is not a good apology. I mean, like, you owe her all of these all of these thoughts, but I, I just can't help but picture Kara sitting there hearing him say all this and being like, no shit, buddy. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. yeah, you better not. Can you imagine if he makes the mistake of mistaking someone for someone else based on their outward appearance again? I bet it's going to happen. He probably does. We should put money on it. I bet he will. I mean, hopefully it's someone else other than another Trisha, but... Yeah. Well, and I will refrain from referring to the events of Sweet Valley Confidential 10 years later, but this is not the end of Stephen and Kara's uh, romantic confusion. So, but again, not sure that it's canon. Um, Cat, do you have anything else that you'd like to say about Sweet Valley Super Edition Spring Break? Highly recommend it. It is a ride. <laughs> Just strap in and get along for the ride. It is. It it's really, a joy. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And it was so much fun having you here. Um, listeners, uh, stay tuned for an announcement about when uh, season four of Sweet Valley Diaries will return. And make sure that you're subscribed so that you can uh, find out, just automatically get the new episode when it comes out. Um, and when the new season starts, it's going to be a lot of fun. There are some weird books coming up. And boy, the season finale of season four is going to be a big one. So uh, get excited for that. And the best thing that you could do if you want to like be involved in the world of Sweet Valley Diaries, other than writing a review, which is so much fun and I love to read them and and I need more reviews and five star ratings and all that bullshit that podcasters always talk about. Um, the best thing that I would like for you to do is to follow Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram because that's like the most fun place on the internet. Uh, that we're like, I as a podcast maker, I'm having the most fun like putting out like I try to put something up there every week. And I put too much time and energy into it, honestly, like weird procreate art projects. Or I also post um, as I'm reading, I post in my story on Instagram, like pages of the books that I'm reading. So anyway, uh, Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Hey, gladiators, if you're listening to this episode on the day it comes out, or really anytime in the first half of October, and you're going to be in the Los Angeles area between October 15th and 18th, I hope you will consider coming to see a play that I wrote, which is being produced by a site-specific theater company called In-House Theater. The play is titled A Mere Conception, and we recently had a really, really tremendous opening weekend run, so we're going to be doing some more performances, and you can find tickets and information about it at In-House Theater. That's theater with an R-E dot com. The play doesn't have anything to do with Sweet Valley High, but it does star former guest of the podcast, Mark Jude Sullivan. He was on the episode 19 Showdown. That's the one where Lila and Jessica are both in love with that cute new boy who ends up being kind of a crazy knife maniac. 
and uh, probable future guest of the show, Elizabeth Schmidt. If you are in the area, oh my gosh, it would mean so much to me to have you there. And by all accounts, it seems like people are really having an amazing time at the theater. So that's a little personal ad for me. Amir Conception, October 15th through 18th, inhousetheater.com for tickets. Thanks. Can your outro just be Britney Spears, James Franco playing Britney Spears at the piano? Oh yeah, what song is it? What song does he play? Oh my god, why am I blanking on the name? How does it I go? I can think of the lyrics. The piano. The oh every my god, time next we touch that one. Oh. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh my god, what is that song called? Guess I need you, baby. It's called Every Time. Is it? Every time I try to fly, I fall without my wings. I feel so small. I guess I need you, baby. It's called Every Time. Okay. Yeah. That can be your outro. (laughs) All right. Sorry, Nick.